Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Great job tonight. And we appreciate all of them. If you have your copy of God's Word tonight, if you'll turn, you can turn the lights up if you'd like. Uh, if you turn to the book of Mark chapter 4, we're going to be a couple places tonight. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 8. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be going a couple different places tonight and also in Jeremiah chapter 29. And we're going to be to a few places tonight. Prayer, the element of change. Uh, that's been a series that I've been preaching the last few weeks. And tonight I'm going to wrap that series up. And I'm going to... Uh, uh, finish that because tonight I'm going to talk about prayer and politics. And I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the question is tonight, prayer, the element of change. My question for you tonight is, whose side are you on? And, uh, and I want to answer the question, what side is God on? And so that's a big question. I get asked a lot of, a lot of times uh, as a pastor, I get asked, uh, you know, whose side are you on politically? Uh, you get those questions all the time. And, um, you know, I, it's just amazing because we hear all kinds of adjectives before Christian. And so but we're going to talk a little bit about it tonight. Now, I want you to know that what I share tonight is my heart. And I'm going to try to do the best that I can uh, to give you what the Bible says about the Christian's involvement in politics and how that should be. Now, the preacher is not the chef. The preacher is the waiter. <laughs> God doesn't want you um, doesn't, you know, God makes the meal, I'm just the waiter that delivers the meal. So if you get mad tonight, don't get mad at the waiter, get mad at the chef, okay? And uh, because um, I'm just waiting tables tonight, and, I, and uh, uh, I'm just delivering to the table, um, because if I had to deliver the meal tonight, then I would just mess it up. So praise God. Um, you know, that my goal tonight is that not that you leave upset, and uh, hopefully that you'll uh, not be upset with, that if you're upset, you're upset with the chef and not the waiter. And, um, you know, the power of prayer, uh, prayer actually is uh, in society, if there's any area of society we need the power of prayer in, we could say that the political arena is a good place to start praying for. In fact, if there's any area of prayer that is needed, it is in the political arena. But in 2001, I was, I was at a pastor's conference in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, it was a pastor's conference that I had gone to for a number of years. It was his first Baptist in Jacksonville. I loved going because it was very encouraging to me as a pastor. Some of the great pastors of, that, of our era uh, would be speaking there, uh, guys like Jerry Falwell and uh, Jerry Vines and um, uh, Adrian Rogers and uh, many great pastors and preachers at our time, Johnny Hunt and James Merritt and many guys that um, were great preachers. And, and, um, um, but one, one night, uh, it was in 2001, if you all remember, the election of 2000 was an interesting election. How many remember the hanging jads? And how many remember the Bush-Gore election? And how many remember that all through that time we had the hanging chads and they had all of the controversy that was going on and counting the chads and all of that? That had went on. Well, in February of that year, I had attended this pastor's conference in Jacksonville, Florida in 2001. And there was a pastor there, and one of the speakers was a man that you probably know. His name is Dr. Tony Evans. And if you don't know him, you probably know his daughter, uh, Patricia Shirer. 
uh, who's part of War Room, and she's written some teaching books for women, uh, most notably The Armor of God. And, uh, of course, Tony, Dr. Evans, pastors a great church in Dallas, Texas. I've read several great books uh, ever written for men. If you're a man and you're wanting some great books, books that Tony Evans is, is speaking. I don't know what's happening to my mic, but I keep flowing out some flow a little bit here, and it's a little distracting. Anyway, Tony Evans is one of the great Bible teachers of our time. Anyway, he was introduced to speak at the pastor's conference, and I'll never forget how he was introduced and the very thing that he said when he got up. This is what he said, and this is what his introduction was to pastors as he got up and that challenging time after that challenging election. This is what he got up, and this is what he said. He got up and said, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. And uh, when he initially said that, you're going with the nursery rhyme, you think, wow, that's interesting. But what he said after so interesting. He said, Mr. Dumpty's world became shattered, and he didn't go to his friends or his family or his church, but he went to his government to get fixed. We know that because the king is the one in charge and his men are those who are in Congress, and that where Humpty looked for help and restoration, the tragedy is that when the king and all of his men together, they could not help and they didn't have the ability to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. He went on to say, the tragedy is the best in the land, the best that the land has to offer could not take care of Humpty. This tells us not only was Humpty Dumpty Humpty Dumpty, but all the king's horses and all the king's men was just as Humpty Dumpty as Humpty Dumpty. And I would say in this, in this day and hour, Hoopty Doopty, uh, uh, they were just as Hoopty Doopty as, as Hoopty Doopty. And so uh, this is precisely the world we live in. Not only are people in the world messed up, but the people who are supposed to fix the people that are messed up in the world are just as messed up as the messed up people that are supposed to be fixed. He said, Humpty Dumpty, uh, uh, Humpty Dumpty people live in a Humpty Dumpty world and is just as tragic when we think that the church, that all of our problems can be fixed by all the king's horses and all the king's men, but the truth is, but only, can only be fixed by one person, and that person is Jesus Christ, the only person that can fix everything. Amen? How many know that is true? And so when we talk tonight about all the king's horses and all the king's men, let me ask you this question. Whose side are you on? Whose side do you fall on side of? The question today is, uh, uh, who is it that you support? Who is it that you mention one name and you, 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 you get animosity? You mention another name and you get more animosity. You can mention Biden, Harris to one group of people and animosity will come out. You mention Trump and Pence to another group of people and more animosity will come out. And so before we uh, uh, talk about uh, whose side we're on tonight, before we get to whose side we should be on or whose side God's on tonight, I want to tell you about an issue that Jesus had that he was brought into and uh, and. Uh, and Jesus himself was challenged by the fact of had to make a decision on whose side he was on. Even Jesus had to answer this question. 
Jesus was literally facing two different sides that were divided by a river. Jesus had to face two different types of people who were divided by a river. And, um, and I want to tell you about one of the biggest bombs Jesus dropped on his disciples. Uh, and when he dropped this bomb on them, it blew everybody away. You'll turn to the book of Mark chapter 4. I want to begin there and begin to show you uh, how this story uh, played about where Jesus had to deal with making a decision between two sides. It's interesting. It's an interesting passage of Scripture. It begins in verse 35 of chapter 4. And if you're there, uh, verse 35 of chapter 4, it begins and it says this. On the same day when evening had come, he had said to them, Let's cross over to the other side. Jesus speaking to the disciples there. Let's cross over to the other side. Now, you and I read that and we say, oh, Jesus wants to go to the other side of the lake. He wants to go to the other side. We read that and we read that and we say, oh, that's Jesus' intention. Let us cross over to the other side. Look at verse 36. And when they had left the multitude, when they had left the multitude, some translation says... Uh, leaving the crowd, in other words, the language implies that Jesus uh, not only left the crowd, but the crowd wasn't really interested in going with him. See, Jesus, everywhere he went, a multitude would follow him. Jesus speaks to his disciples. He said, let's go to the other side. I'm sure you're going to find out in a second why his disciples was concerned about that. The fact that the question that Jesus had asked them. But notice this, that he left the crowd behind. The crowd wasn't interested in going to the other side. And even though the crowd followed Jesus for the miracles and the blessings and the healings and all the things that took place, they weren't willing to risk to go to the other side. And no one in that crowd was going over to the other side, and neither did any of them go. So what is and why is this a bombshell for Jesus? Because the Jews, first of all, didn't like the people that were on the other side. Jews hated those who lived on the other side. Matter of fact, on the other side, who was on the other side? On the other side was a group of cities that were called the Decapolises. Or they were seven cities of ancient Canaan uh, where Joshua had come into the promised land and conquered. Uh, they were despised so much because there was, there was uh, over on that side, there was what was considered greed and violence. There was uh, this incredible uh, sexual expression and, and, and oppression uh, out in the open. In fact, one commentator said, the Jews would say and have said, one commentator said it was common among the Jews to say that Satan actually lived on the other side into the capitalists. They actually believed that that's where Satan lived. Satan himself lived on the other side. Now, people have said many things that are false in society and time, over the time in history. Uh, and people have said stuff and made all kinds of things up. Uh, how many of you remember a magazine called the National Enquirer? Y'all remember the National Enquirer? And uh, how many all the ridiculous stuff that you would read on the National Enquirer? Well, the National Enquirer also had a sister magazine, uh, and it was called World News Report. And the World News Report was just as ridiculous as the... Uh, uh, National Enquirer, but I remember years ago, there was on the front page of the World News Report, this is what it said, 
it said this. This is what was on there. Front page, Satan's skull was discovered in New Mexico. (laughs) This is great. There's no more Satan, right? He doesn't exist anymore, right? He's in Mexico. They found him in Mexico. See, right there's the headlines. January 1st, 1993, Satan's skull was found in New Mexico. Bible experts call it a find of the century. In other words, <laughs> Satan's, you know, don't go to Mexico because Satan's skull, Satan lived in New Mexico. And, uh, uh, and that is what they thought about the Decapolises. That's what they thought about those cities, that Satan lived there. And when the disciples would hear this word, uh, here, let's go over to the other side, they, they, didn't, uh, they didn't always get in, uh, 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 he, he, you know, they weren't quite in with Jesus going to the other side. They were kind of confused. Of course, it took them a while to get there. Jesus set them out in a storm. And uh, Jesus, uh, it was kind of confusing them because they're thinking, why would Jesus want to go to the other side? Because he's always been with us. He's always been around us. Why would he want to go on the other side? Why would he want to go uh, and over there to that way of life? Why would he always want to go over there where uh, all of that greed and violence is? Why would Jesus want to go to the other side? Uh, It was almost as if Jesus had thought that every side belonged to him. In other words, Jesus not only uh, was on the Jewish side, but Jesus went over to where uh, the Jews weren't. In other words, Jesus uh, went to where men were. Jesus didn't care what their politics were. Jesus loved men. And Jesus wanted to set men free. And, uh, and so uh, Jesus goes to the other side. We see the go to the other side. And Jesus gets there and he's welcomed by an individual, right? Jesus sets on the shore and he's greeted by a man. Uh, and this man had some serious issues. Would you not say that he had some serious issues? The Bible says that he lived in the cemeteries, he lived in the tombs. He was demon-possessed. The Bible says that he had a legion of demons in him. Do you know how many a legion is? That's 6,000. And so the scripture tells us that he had a legion of demons that was in him. And he was a madman. He terrorized the city. Uh, He was violent. No one could even go there. And, uh, And Jesus sees this man. And when Jesus gets close to him, before he gets to him, the Bible says he falls down on his feet and Jesus heals him. And you would think the people would be happy with that. I'm telling you, if if I knew a man that had 6,000 demons or a legion of demons and Jesus came and made him whole, you would think church folk would be happy or people would be happy that Jesus would set someone like that free. Amen? I mean, we would think so, but people knew this man, and and people struggled. I mean, I'm sure the disciples, first of all, when Jesus said, let's go to the other side, they probably were like, what are you talking about? Let's go to the other side. And then when they get there, they're greeted by this demoniac man, and they're like, see, told you we shouldn't have come to the other side. See what you've just started now? We're all going to die. Now, I wasn't on that boat. But I'm sure when they got there, they, they may have thought there's, Jesus has no business being over here. And so this man comes. But here's the thing. Jesus saw something deep down beneath in that man, uh, even in the front of all the conflict 
what he saw was he saw a man that was lost and desperate. How many are thankful that Jesus sees us differently sometimes than even man sees us? Jesus saw something in him that no one else saw in him. And he was a madman. Let's look at Mark chapter 5 and verse 14 and 17 and, and begin to see. Now you would think people would be happy that he set him free. But let's look at what the people said in chapter 5 and verse 14. So those who, who fed the swine fled. And they went and told in the city and in the country. And they went out to see uh, what it was that had happened. So when the people saw Jesus cast these demons out of this man and into swine and saw the swine run off the cliff and the people who fed the swine and were there that witnessed it ran into the city, began to tell people what had happened. They came, they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had a legion sitting and clothed in his right mind and they were afraid. Now, Here's this man in his right mind, but they're afraid of the fact that he's in his right mind. They just can't believe what they saw. They can't believe that here's this demoniac he set free. Have you ever seen salvation in people and you've questioned, you've wondered, how in the world? I cannot believe it, they got saved. I cannot believe they're different. I cannot believe that they're so transformed. Have you ever heard a testimony of known people and you, you're like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's a real miracle that God got a hold of that dude. Isn't that right, Brian? You probably have friends who are like, man, I, don't even, I can't believe you're serving God today. Right? There's probably people, I mean, I had people all the time when I first got saved that said, you're kidding, right? You're joking. You're right. You're, you're kidding. You, this Jesus thing. You know, right? It's not, it's not going to work for you. I can just tell. But here we have all of a sudden, but listen, here's the key. And uh, it's found in verse 16. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. In verse 17, then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. What they do? They kick Jesus out. Let me read it to you in the message translation because I love what it says here. They came up to Jesus and saw the madman sitting and wearing decent clothes and making sense to a, a longer, uh, uh, no longer walking uh, um, as a madhouse man. Those who had seen it told the others what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. At first they were in awe, and then they were upset, upset over the drowned pigs. They demanded that Jesus leave and never come back. They demanded that Jesus leave and never come back. He'd gone over to the other side. He'd gone over to the Gentile side to where there was violence, to where there was, there was uh, immorality, where there was no religion, there was atheism, there was idol worship. Jesus goes over there. He heals a demonic man, and they see this with their own eyes, and now they're demanding that Jesus leaves because they don't want Jesus to stay. Isn't that typical, the world we live in? We have a world that's crying out that says we don't want Jesus around. We don't want him in our schools. We don't want him in politics. We don't want him in our city governments. We don't want him in our circles. We, we don't want, because why? Because there's people that Jesus touched that get transformed, and people don't want Jesus messing up what they think is right. I'm telling you, we're living in an hour politically where people don't want Jesus coming in and putting people in place 
There are people in government who do not like Christians because they know that if Jesus gets involved, a lot of things are going to change. <laughs> Help me out tonight. Is that not true? So it's a lot easier to say, we don't want Jesus. Get on your boat. Go back to the other side where you came from. Jesus is meant for the church house, not the world. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus is not just concerned what happens in here. Jesus is concerned of what happens out there. And Jesus is willing to go to the other side, even if we ain't. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, Jesus wants to invade Congress. Jesus wants to invade our Senate. Jesus wants to invade our Supreme Court. Jesus wants to invade the ungodly. Jesus wants to go in the darkest places of the world so that he can transform. He wants to go into CHOP. He wants to go into the Portland. He wants to go into these cities that have been turned over to ravageness, rioting. And that, listen, Jesus will transform a man. The government don't have the ability to change man, but Jesus has the ability to change man. Huh? Y'all with me? So Jesus gets on the boat. He gets ready to go, and the man who has been set free wants to go with Jesus. But Jesus says, no, I want you to stay here. And I want you to stay here because I want you to stay here, and I want you to share your story. Now, let me read it to you and how it's mentioned in the message. And it says this, they demanded that Jesus leave and not come back. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the demon-delivered the demon man begged to go along, that he would let him. Jesus said to him, go home to your own people, tell them your story, what the master did, and how he had mercy upon you. And the man went back and began to preach in ten towns and areas around what Jesus had done for him. He was the talk of the town. Hey, God transforms somebody, they can become the talk of the town. Jesus said, no, I want you to stay right here. You have a story to tell, and I want you to tell your story. God doesn't deliver you so that you can keep your deliverance to yourself. God delivers you so that you can tell your story because somebody on your job needs to hear what Jesus has done for you. Somebody in your neighborhood needs to hear what Jesus has done for you. Somebody in your family at Thanksgiving needs to hear what Jesus has done for you. Somebody in your life, whether it be on a street corner, whether it be at a coffee shop, whether it be paying a bill, whether it be on the phone, somebody needs to tell the story that I once was lost, but now I'm found. We've lost the ability to tell the story of what Jesus has done for us. Now, you say, well, that's, why is that important? Because it's extremely important. You know, we don't, want, we don't want you to come back. They didn't want Jesus to come back. Uh, you know, uh, uh, and, and it's amazing. But Jesus comes back one chapter later, and I want to show you what takes place when Jesus returns. Turn over to Mark chapter 6 and verse 53. Mark chapter 6 and verse 53. Hang with me. I am going somewhere tonight. I'm taking you along. I'm just dragging you along. You're in the boat. I'm taking you with me. Mark chapter 6 and verse 53. I want you to see this. Look what it says. It says, And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. Now, they're come to the same regions. There were seven cities that were there and, uh, and, uh, in that region. Uh, there were seven cities, Canaanite cities, uh, uh, Gennesaret was one of them, 
And uh, uh, Jesus returns to the same region, to the same area. He anchors there. And look what happens when he gets there. He gets there. And, and verse 54, now remember, they told Jesus, we want you to leave and never come back, right? Now look at this. Now he left the demonic man with a testimony. How many know a man with a testimony has a power, can do great work with God? You don't know. Listen, degrees are good. Bible training's good. It's all important. But man, I want to tell you, you get a man on fire for God that's got a testimony, woohoo! fire can just sweep through a city and a region and through families. I want you to see what it said in verse 54. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him. Uh-oh. Can you imagine the disciples? Oh, man, you're back again. We're in trouble. We're going to get, get, you know, they're going to beat us. They're going to tire and feather. They're going to set us on fire. You brought us across this lake again to get killed. Jesus, I bet the whole trip over, they're going, Jesus, you know they told you not to come back. You know they told you not to show up again. So Jesus shows up, verse 55, and it says, and ran through the whole surrounding region. They recognized him. They ran through the whole surrounding region and began to what do what? They began to carry about on beds those who were sick to who, wherever they heard he was, wherever he entered into the villages and cities or the country. They laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. Come on, y'all. Isn't that amazing? The testimony of the demonic man got throughout the region and he testified to what Jesus did. So when he showed up on the other side again, all of a sudden they could not wait for Jesus to get out of the boat. They brought him on beds. They brought the sick. They brought the demonic. They brought all those that needed healed. They pressed on him just to get a touch of him. Come on, just to get a touch of him. Because the testimony of God has power. We overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Hallelujah. Come on, that's good stuff tonight. They told him not to come back. Now they're glad he came back. Because revival's broken back. Don't ever listen to the lie of the devil. The devil will tell you, you can't win a city. The devil will tell you, you can't win your family. The devil will tell you, you can't. But I'm here to tell you, all God has to do is touch somebody. Somebody gets saved. Somebody get delivered. And God will blow through a city and transform it just like that through the testimony of one man. Woo! Hey, come on now. I could run, but I'm not going to. Praise God, because I don't want to faint and fall out. Listen, nowhere else in the Bible will we see a transformation like this. Even the, even the woman at the well got transformed and went into the city and testified, and all the city came out and believed. But nobody liked it. They ran Jesus off, then they couldn't wait till he got back. There's something that I have to draw your attention to. Now, I want you to see something. Now, there's something that I want you to see about both sides. Jesus does something on each side that we sometimes overlook and we don't pay much attention to. But here's this thing I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to show you that Jesus is not Democratic and Jesus is not Republican. Jesus is not political. Jesus is righteousness, joy, peace, and the Holy Ghost. Jesus is for what's right. Jesus is for life. Jesus is for freedom. Jesus is for not that which restrains you, but that which sets you free. 
That's what Jesus is for. And so I want you to see this. So in these chapters, Jesus does something on both sides that blows our minds away. Because on the Jewish side, on the first side, Jesus does something. And uh, on the Jewish side, in Mark chapter 5 and 6, Jesus, uh, he feeds 5,000. You all know the story. He feeds 5,000, and he does it with five loaves and two fishes. Is that not right? You all know the story. He feeds 5,000. He prays over it. He feeds the 5,000. In chapter 6 and verse 42, it says there were 12 full baskets of broken pieces and fish uh, that the Jews uh, on the Jewish side, he fed 5,000. And there were how many baskets left? 12 baskets. Now remember that for just a moment. There were 12 baskets left on the Jewish side. Now if you read over, and if you go over, you will see that when Jesus crossed over on the other side, he goes to the other side, and we see Jesus on the other side in Mark chapter 8. Look at Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 and verse 8 and 9, we see Jesus doesn't feed 5,000, but he feeds 4,000. And how does he do it? The same way he fed them on the other side is that he fed the 5,000 with fish and loaves on one side, and he fed the other side with fish and loaves in Mark chapter 8. That's totally different incident. One he fed 5,000, one he fed 4,000. In other words, Jesus is willing to feed all of those who are hungry and willing to eat from his table. <laughs> Come on now. He's not a white Jesus. Come on. He's not a black Jesus. He's not a, his he's not a Hispanic. He's Jesus. He feeds every man, every tribe, every nation, every mankind. Come on, he feeds them all. He feeds them on this side, and he'll feed them on that side. Oh, I wish I had some folks excited about Jesus tonight. Because I'm about ready to lose my mind. Woo! Here's the thing we don't see on the two different sides. Now, it tells us in verse 8 and 9, it says this. So they ate and were filled, and they took up how many baskets? Seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. Immediately got into the boat with his disciples, and he came to the region of Dalmanatha. Now listen. Twelve baskets on the Jewish side. Seven baskets on the Gentile side. Or on the Gadarene side. Or the Canaanite side. Now, how many know the scripture doesn't waste anything? The 12 baskets on the Jewish side represent what? The 12 tribes of Israel. How many know the Old Testament? God moved through the 12 tribes of Israel. His provision and his food and his sanctification all worked through the 12 tribes of Israel. They were lacking nothing in the Old Testament. Right? But then Jesus crosses over to the other side. How many are thankful for the covenant we have on this side? How many think we don't have to sacrifice bulls and goats and lambs and pigeons on that side, but the blood of Jesus on the cross is more sufficient on this side? Why? He had seven baskets that represented the seven cities of the region of Gadara in that region. Why? Because those were all of the Gentile cities in that region. And seven represents the perfect number of God, which means this. It means that 
what God did for them was not lacking anything. It was perfect. It was a great number. It filled every city and every people in every city. It was a representation of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has come to us who are Gentiles. How many know the blood of Jesus is for sufficient for you and I tonight? It's missing nothing or lacking nothing. It's all sufficient for our lives. Woo! Hey, it's missing nothing. Nothing lacking. Nothing lacking. Everything we need for love and godliness and peaceful life, he's provided on this side of the cross. Woo! We don't have to go nowhere. For, listen, Humpy Dumpy is taken care of as long as Humpy Dumpy is sitting at Jesus' table. And if you're Hoopty Doopty, he'll take care of you there too. Hallelujah. Thank God. Listen, and I told you that because I'm drawing this in. I want to show you something tonight. Jesus didn't come for one group of people. He died for every mankind. Jesus is here not to put on or not to set just on a side, but he came to set men free no matter who they are. In fact, when people tried to get President Lincoln to choose a side, matter of fact, he met with with. He met with the ministers of the north one time for a prayer meeting during the heat of the Civil War. Those, the northern ministers came in to President Lincoln and they sat with him and they began to pray. At the end of prayer, one of them said this. This is the statement that he prayed. He said, while in the prayer meeting, they said, Mr. President, let us pray that God is on our side here in the north. Mr. President looked at the minister and replied. He said, no, gentlemen. Let's not pray that, let's pray that we are on God's side, not just the north side, but on God's side. I'm here to tell you tonight, it doesn't matter who sits in the White House. What we better make sure of tonight and make sure is that you and I are on God's side tonight, regardless of who sits in the White House. What side? So what is God's side? It's interesting that in politics, they draw a line between Democrat and Republican and they say the other side of the aisle, right? That's what they say. Those on the, how many times have we heard news conferences where they said, well, those on the other side. Those on the other side of the aisle. We love to take sides in America. It's interesting. We have a country that is politically diverse and divisive and divided even at the moment that we are right now. Have you ever seen it more divisive than the hour that we live in right now? I mean, we've had impeachment inquiries. We've had Mueller reports. We've had Ukraine phone calls. We've had fights between Trump and Pelosi. We've had Biden and his son. We've had Bernie and AOC. And we've had uh, uh, every other character that wants to jump into the political arena in this, in this season that we're in. We have, for four years, have seen names just swirling around. And everybody is blowing a trumpet about what side they are or what's important. Blowing a trumpet for who they're against. Some are blowing the trumpet, they're against Trump, and they don't like him. Some are blowing trumpets against Democrats, they don't like them. We hear things like quid quo pro. I mean, some of you never even heard of quid pro pro until all of this went on. Now you're going around saying, hey, I know some Latin, quid quo pro. You know, so, and so some of us never even heard that statement till then. And, uh, and the truth is, I like what Ian Thomas said. He said this, make sure, in God, make sure it's God's trumpet you are blowing. If it's only yours, it won't wake the dead. It will only simply disturb your neighbors. 
<laughs> How many know we there's want to be one trumpet that's blown and that's God's? What is the best way for Christians to be involved in politics? I like what Dallas uh, Willard said. He said, the world can no longer be left to the mere diplomats, politicians, and business leaders. They have done the best that they could. But this is a time for spiritual heroes, a time for men and women to be heroic in their faith and spiritual character and power. We don't need another politician to deliver America. We need some spiritual heroes. We need some spiritually competent Christians who will stand up for what is right and stand for God and be heroes to a world that needs Christ. It's time for us to stand up. Well, whose side are you on, Pastor? I like the side that C.S. Lewis took. He said, he, was, he who surrenders himself uh, without reservation to a temporal claim of a nation or a party is rendering to Caesar... That which all things must emphatically belong to God himself. In other words, what he's saying is that our loyalty should not just be to a party or to a nation, but our loyalties, we should give our loyalties to God and God alone. He's the one that deserves our ultimate loyalty, right? Because when we give our loyalties to parties and to men, it's Caesar, it's temporary, and we're giving to Caesar what really ought to be belong to God. My heart is loyal, and it doesn't belong to a political party, but to God to himself tonight. Now, I just happen to vote for a candidate that belongs to a party, but I'm not, I'm not a representative of that party. I'm a representative of the kingdom, and I vote for a candidate who stands with the kingdom, and I will stand with a candidate who stands for life any day. And my loyalty is not to the candidate. My loyalty, listen, my, my loyalty is not to the candidate. My loyalty is to Jesus and the word of God. That's the side I stand on. You know why? Because Jesus is not on the side. He's on, he's on the Gadarene side. He's on the Jewish side. He's on the side that sets men free. That's my vote tonight. That which sets and keeps America free and, and under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Just my thoughts. In other words, what should a Christian pay in, play in politics? I've got the hurry, I know. I really want to get to this. And... <laughs> Never enough time. Never enough time. I just prepared too long, y'all. Go, go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want to give this to you real quick. I'm going to give you some things real quick. Y'all ready for rapid fire? Five-minute rapid fire. All right, let's go. Let's go. We're going to run with it. I'm going to give it to you real quick. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to show you what the responsibility of a Christian is and what part you play in politics and how you should play that role in politics. What is God's side? I'm going to show you what God's side is. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Paul tells Timothy here in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to see what he says to Timothy. Now, I don't have time to go in. Timothy is in Ephesus. Y'all don't even have any idea of what Ephesus is like. Matter of fact, I wish I could get Dr. Sean up here to share with you what Ephesus was like. Ephesus was one of the most political cities in the region. Matter of fact, it was the capital of the region of Asia. Matter of fact, there were five or six strong wealthy political families in Ephesus. And uh, matter of fact, we have record of those families, the influence of those families. 
Some of them ran and were priests, and some of them were priestess in the temples. Some of them were in politics. Some of them ran the, the grain and the marketplaces. They were very wealthy families. Matter of fact, many of those families are responsible for building the cities, the seven churches of Asia, which are mentioned in the book of Revelation. Many of those families had a hand in building and, and, and the building up and the supplying of those cities. That's the kind of city that Timothy is in. Now look what Paul says to him. Therefore, I exhort you, first of all, that supplications and prayers, intercession, and giving thanks be, be made for all men. What is Paul saying? I'm writing to you to encourage you to pray with gratitude to God. Pray for all men, many prayers, many prayers for all men, intercession. Now what is intercession? Intercession is prayer with intense passion. That's intercession. We have intercessors in this church that are very vital to this church. But they're, they're people who pray with intense passion. And what comes next? What does he say next? For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness, all godliness and reverence. Now listen, here's what he's telling. Here's what he's telling Timothy. Timothy, kings and all who are in authority, all who are in authority. Kings and all who are in authority. I said all who are in authority. Pray for all men. You know what that means? You know what that tells me? That if the election doesn't come out the way that we as Christians or we suppose that the election should come out, you know what our responsibility is? Timothy, we're to pray for kings and all those who are in authority. Let me tell you what God's side is. God's side is, is that we pray for all men who are in authority. If you prayed for Trump and didn't pray for Obama, you're not on God's side. If you prayed for Trump and didn't pray for Obama, you're not on God's side. Because what's God's side? God's side is that we pray for all kings in authority. <laughs> that went over really well. Y'all with me? Why? Why do we pray for even those we didn't vote for if they get in office? So that we pray that they will rule well. Not only that they will rule well, so that there will be peace and tranquility and peace among our lives. The reason I pray, if Biden wins, if Biden, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Why? Because my nation is still my nation, and I want to live a peaceable life, and I want him to rule well because I want peace in my society and in my culture so I'm going to pray. Why? Because the Christian has the ability to change things through prayer. Come on. You can go to Congress, put signs up, decorate your paddy wagon and put a siren and a bow on it. It doesn't matter what you do, but you can do more at this altar than what you can do and what you can post on Facebook or what you can yell from the rooftops. Prayer will change things. <laughs> so we're to pray for Trump and Pence and Biden and Pelosi and Harris and Obama and AOC and all the crazy ones up there. Because if Jesus can heal a demoniac, <laughs> if I said if Jesus can heal a demoniac that's got 6,000 demons, Jesus can touch the House of Representatives and rip every demon that's there out of there. Why? Because Jesus ain't afraid to go to the other side. 
Hang with me. Why? Because God longs, listen, verse 4, look what verse 3 and 4 tells us. For this, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of the Lord. Listen, it's what pleases God is to pray for all leaders in authority. Not just the ones that we want in authority. God forbid, I'm praying for our nation. I pray that our nation will choose righteousness and choose godliness and choose to the path of where there's liberty and freedoms for the churches and liberty and freedoms and that we choose life, that we, that we one day, hopefully, we can end abortion. One day, hopefully, we can end abortion. I'm not afraid to say it. Why are people afraid to say that we should overturn Roe v. Wade? We should overturn Roe v. Wade. Why? Because God cares about life. <laughs> Why? Because I look at a newborn baby and I see the life and potential that's in them. And I see children walking around this church and I think, how in the world could we ever think that our lives are so inconvenienced that we would have to remove one of those precious children so that our lives could be more easier? That's not the heart of God. I'll fight you to the death. Jesus is for life. He doesn't resurrect the church and brings them up from the dead and then condones a society that is killing people to put them in the grave. Okay. Our primary involvement from Madison, Indiana to Washington, D.C. is to be first on our knees. To get on our knees. I'm grateful for Christians in government. Chaplains in D.C., men and women who are fighting for biblical godly principles. I'm for them. I thank God for Franklin Graham. I thank God for James Dobson, Richard Green, Larry Shackelford, Liberty Council. I thank God for men who go up to the, to, the, to the political arenas of life and stand in those places as righteousness. I thank God for them, those who take them on and are willing to fight for what is right. But the best way to unify the church is not rally around the candidate, but a rally around the king. Now, I'm going to leave you. i got a lot more, but I'm going to leave you with these three things. These three things I want you to know. I'm going to give them to you really quick. I'm not even going to be able to get into them. Listen. Our government may be in the condition it's in because the church, because the condition of prayer in the church is as it is. Maybe our government's like it is because the condition of prayer in the church is like it is. A prayerless church, church messes up our government. More than our government messes up our government. Whose fault is it, Pastor? Republicans? Democrats? What about us? How much are we to blame that we don't pray? If prayer works, how much are we to blame? Prayer becomes the element of change in what way? Number one. I want you to remember this. I've made a commitment in this time of fasting and prayer, the last 40 days that we are on. Listen, I'm as outspoken as anybody. Y'all know. I mean, you, don't, you can look at my Facebook. I throw stuff up there all sometimes antagonized. But I got convicted lately, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray and not post. Pray and don't post. Okay? Listen, I'm not saying don't vote. Here's what I'm saying. Once the election is over, don't post and rant, but make a commitment to pray. 
I'm going to abide by my own information. I'm telling you this for accountability. I, I'm not, if, 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 this, if who I'm voting for for president, Donald Trump, does not win, and I have reasons for that, I'm not afraid to tell you who I'm voting for. If he doesn't win, I'm not going to rant. I'm going to pray. I'm not going to post. I'm going to pray. Why? Because the responsibility that Paul told Timothy is to pray for all kings and authorities that are in place. Why? Pray that they rule well. Pray that they rule well. And the second thing is pray that they come to the knowledge of the truth of Christ. I'm going to pray because I want them to rule well, because I want peace in my life, and I want peace in my family. I want peace in my city. And I'm praying for them to rule well, but I also pray that they may come to the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ and what truth is. That's my prayer. I pray that they have a born-again experience. I pray that like the man of Gadarenes, they will fall on their face and come to Jesus and become a testimony, not a liability. Pray. <laughs> Listen. Intercede. We're to pray and intercede. Intercession means to pray for someone, that they rule well. Praise God. Hallelujah. Listen. Men may reject our appeals, refuse our message, oppose our arguments, despise, despise our persons. But they are helpless against our prayers. Listen, men may reject our message. Men may reject our pleas. But I want to tell you one thing that men can't reject is our prayers. Because our prayers don't go to them. Our prayers go to a throne room where there's a Savior sitting, ever interceding for us. And I'm telling you, Jesus knows how to answer prayer. <laughs> Woo! Yes! I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for them. Just like I pray now. I'm going to pray for them. The children of Israel were in cap captivity for 70 years in Babylon. Remember that, that Daniel ended up in the lion's den because he prayed. The three Hebrew children were thrown in the fiery furnace. Why? Because they served God. They served a monolithic God or, or monotheistic God that was outlawed. Listen, they, they were in a society that didn't believe in God. But guess what Jeremiah 29.7 says? It says this. Let me read it to you in the Living Bible. It says, work for peace and prosperity of Babylon. Pray for her, for if Babylon has peace, so will you. It didn't say pay for the, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They were in captivity. Pray for Babylon, because if there's peace in Babylon, there'll be peace with you. Why should we pray? It's America at times reminds me of Babylon. Pray for the peace of America. Why? Because if the peace of if God's peace comes to America, God's peace will come on you and your life. Number two, there's no adjective before the noun. Number one, pray, don't post. Number two, there's no adjective before the noun. Well, what does that mean? The noun is one word, Christian. You cannot put any adjective before the noun Christian. The word Christian is powerful enough by itself. You say, well, what do you mean by that? You don't need a description before the word Christian. Let me explain. I'm not a southern Christian. I'm not a white Christian. I'm not a redneck Christian. I'm not a black Christian. I'm not a Republican Christian. I'm not a Democrat Christian. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as a gay Christian. There's no such thing as anything. Christians follow the teaching of the resurrected Savior. It's not a party. It's not a lifestyle. It's not an ethnicity. And it's not a, de a, a denomination. 
It is the word of God says. That's what a Christian is. I am a Christian and I don't put any adjective in front of it. I'm not a Trump Christian. I'm not a Republican Christian. I'm not, I listen, I, if I support a candidate, I support that candidate. But I'm first a Christian, a noun by itself. I don't throw a bunch of adjectives in front of it. You know why? Our lifestyles don't define our faith, but our faith decides our lifestyle. Hey, come on now. My lifestyle doesn't tell you who I am, but my faith will determine how I live. If you read this book and love being a Christian, you will live like a Christian. And nobody will confuse you with anything else but being a Christian. Come on. Help me tonight. Hallelujah. But what happens is people worship the adjective instead of the noun. So when they say that I am a, a this type of Christian, all of a sudden that becomes more important than the noun. The importance is the Christian. Not the fact that you say you're a gay Christian or you say you're a Republican Christian because if you throw an adjective in front of it, people will worship the adjective instead of the noun. I'm a Christian. I said I'm a Christian. I said I'm a Christian. Number three, and I'm going to leave you alone. Number three, don't confuse which hill, which hill has the power. The reason we pray for elected leaders is because they can't fix society. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. Dr. Martin Luther King said it like this. Morality cannot be legislated, but behavior can be regulated. Judicial decrees cannot change the heart, but they can restrain the heartless. You know what? We're not going to change America by legislating laws. We're going to change America by changing men's hearts. We can make laws that restrain the lawless. We have laws like that. Thank God. Thank God for laws. But laws don't transform men. Only Jesus transformed men. Only Jesus will change the heart. What will change this nation is not legislation and not overturning this and not having the Supreme Court this and the Supreme Court that. If, you're, if all of your hope is in politics, you put your hope in the wrong thing. Your hope should be in Jesus because he has the power to go from one side to the other and transform people on the other side, even people we don't even care for or even people we don't give the time of day. Jesus loves and cares about, and he loves them just as much as he loves us on this side. Is that not true? Is that not true? I want to close with this story, and then I'll leave you alone. Uh, we have a Capitol Hill, three branches of government, but I'm telling you, there's another hill that's got three, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father said to the Son, He didn't legislate law, but He has the ability to fix people. And do for man what the king, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't do. You know, for years, one of my big heroes was Abraham Lincoln. I read everything on him. Matter of fact, one of the great movies, I think, is the movie that Spielberg made about Abraham Lincoln. If you never watched it, you need to watch it. But there's a scene in that movie that's a real-life scene that actually, years ago, people could actually go and visit the president. Did you know that? 
you see a scene in the movie where uh, President Lincoln is in his office and there are citizens that are sitting out in the waiting room waiting to see the president. You could actually go see the president. You can't do that now, <laughs> obviously, for many reasons. You can't do that, but you could do that. But what happened in, in uh, 1864 is that there was a southern soldier, a confederate, that came to Washington, D.C. to see the president. His, his farm had been illegally taken from him by the federal uh, soldiers, had stolen his farm from him. He wanted to see the president to try to get his farm back because it was wrongfully taken from him. It was stolen from him. But because he wore a Confederate soldier's uniform, the Union Federal Army would not let him in the White House. Every time he attempted, the soldiers would not let him in. In complete frustration, he set out into the garden along the White House there. And as he sat there, a young boy came and sat down beside him. The young boy said, Sir, you look sad. Why for such sadness? He began to tell the young boy, I've been trying to see the president for days. But those Union soldiers would not let me in because I'm a Confederate. He said, I, my, my farm was stolen from me. My, my livelihood was taken unjustly. And I'm here to see the president because I want my life back. He tells the story of the young boy. And the boy becomes compassionate, shares with him. And the young boy reaches out his hand. And he takes the man by the hand. And he takes that Confederate soldier. And he walks in. He said, come with me. And so he walks with that Confederate soldier, he goes up the steps of the White House. As he gets to the door, those guards pull back their, 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 their uh, guns and their swords, and they stand at attention. He walks through them. He walks into the White House, past all of those that are sitting, waiting to see the president. The doors open for him. Maids come and escort him. Butler's escort. He comes to the top. He gets to the top to where the office of the president was. Of course, there was no Oval Office at that time. Where the president's office of him, he walks in, he opens the door, walks in, the president is sitting there, he's in a meeting, he brings this young Confederate soldier in, he walks up to him, and he says, Dad, this young man needs to speak to you. It was Tad Lincoln, the president's son, that led him in to where the father was. Listen, doesn't matter what political side you on. Your politics never, it does not get you to the throne room. It does not get you to the office of the Father. But if you'll take the hand of the Son tonight and let the hand of the Son lead you, He will lead you right to the Father, right to the throne room, right to where God sits. You will have an audience with God Himself if you'll just take the hand of the Son. Hallelujah. How many are thankful we got the hand of the Son tonight? Stand with me tonight. Hallelujah. How many are thankful for the power of the hill, the power of Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Listen, your injustice may not get you to the throne room. Your differences may not get you to the throne room. But what will get you there tonight is reaching out and taking the son by the hand. And the son will lead you. He'll guide you. He'll hear your prayers. He'll hear your disgruntledness. He'll hear your prayers. I'm here to tell you, listen, I vote for life. I always voted for life. That's the number one issue for me. I don't care whether I get money back or whether my taxes, I don't care. My provision does not come from the government. I'm not Humpty Dumpty, and I don't depend on all the king's horses and all the king's men. I may be a little hoopty at times, but I'm not Humpty Dumpty. But I'll tell you this. 
My trust is not in men. My trust is not in horses and chariots, but my trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my provider. He's always taken care of me. He's always provided for me. That's your trust tonight. That's your trust. That's the church's trust tonight. And regardless of what happens on election day, the church's responsibility is to pray for whoever gets in. Whoever occupies that office, we need to pray just as hard for one as we do the other. Why? Because we're praying for God to bring peace to our nation that we may live in peace, that we may live, and we pray also so that those that are in office may come to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ. You need to go home and pray, First Timothy chapter 2. You need to read it and you need to pray it. You need to pray it over our nation, every aspect of our nation, every aspect of our nation. I'm not here to put a Trump flag up. I'm not here to put a Biden flag up. Doesn't matter who I vote for. I got biblical reasons for reasons I vote for. I saw a pastor resigned his church because his church was voting for Trump. Pastor resigned. I saw that. I'm like, he, he resigned his church because all of the people in his church were Trump voters. I don't know where you fall down on that. I mean, I read the article. I was a little dumbfounded. But listen, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Now, I wouldn't resign if all y'all were Biden supporters. I don't think. Point is, it doesn't matter. Because I've just reached out and took the hand of the Son. I'll do more in the prayer room than I will standing on the steps of the Capitol building. Father, we love you tonight. Speak to our hearts about our nation. Whose side is God on? He's on every side. He's on the side of mankind. He's on the side of humanity. He was willing to cross the aisle so that others could hear the good news. Some of us ain't even willing to cross the aisle of our church because we have awe against brother or sister. Some of us won't even speak to other people because we have odds and offenses. We're all Christians. If Jesus is willing to go to places that don't honor him and ask him to leave, but yet he still goes, how much more should we as believers be? We pray for this election. God, I'm telling you, I'm telling you whose side I'm on. I'm on your side. And I wake up next Wednesday morning, regardless of who sits in the White House, I've decided I'm going to pray and not post. I decided that I'm not going to put an adjective before Christian. I've decided, God, that my trust is going to be in you and not in men. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be confused on which hill the power is on. The power is not on Capitol Hill because men fail us. The power is on the hill called Calvary. It's a hill where Jesus died. It's the hill where salvation was won. That's where the real power is. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.